Well, man, it has been a great, great weekend. And as you see, uh, as Pastor Paul was saying, a sea of orange that is not in support of Clemson, okay? Um, I, I, I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm a Tennessee fan. This is a Tennessee orange. I'm not really sure. Uh, but anyway, I'm not favoring one way or the other, but I will be pulling for the Gamecocks later on, okay? So, um, but anyway... Uh, but we have had a, an awesome, awesome weekend and just have experienced God, encountered him in new ways and fresh ways. And before we kind of dig into God's word, uh, I always like to use this not to be like a, a award show or anything, but there's just people that I need to thank. And one, I want to thank all of us as the church body, because for many of you in your adult life group classes, you or individually, you gave money to provide scholarship funds for students to attend the weekend. And so some of you did, I mean, I mean, all of you just went over and above. We've talked about this value here at Taylor's, that one of our values is generous giving. And you gave a ton of money. You gave uh, food. Some of you brought hamburger buns. Some of you brought Klondike bars. Um, who doesn't like Klondike bars? Come on. Um, maybe, maybe you don't. I, I do. Um, I ran over a little kid for that. Um, they, hey, they say, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And I mauled a kid. Um, so just kidding. I didn't do that. I love kids. <laughs> um, so anyway, we, um, so thank you, church. Thank you for supporting, believing in these students, not counting this generation out, um, passing the torch well, loving on them and saying, hey, we'll do whatever it takes. So thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, I also wanted to thank, I know Paul also did this, but anybody who was a host home, can I ask you just to stand up? If you were a host home, will you stand up? Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh, the host homes, wow. Um, they are, I think they might have some borderline crazy mental illness because they open up their home and say, sure, 13 teenagers can stay at my house. And uh, I love what one said that they need some like odor eater foot spray um, to defumigate the home. Um, but that's what it's all about. It's, that's not the, that's not the, um, the aroma of the spirit. <laughs> that, is, that is nasty feet and body, eighth grade boy body odor. Um, so anyway, but thank you, Host Homes, for opening up your house. They create a, a meaningful place for our students. Every, um, after every session, they go, they huddle up, and they dig into God's Word a little bit more and have some great conversation. And there's some discipleship that happens and all kind of great stuff. So thank you. I also wanted to thank um, so, some, also some leaders of the weekend is our actual group leaders. And, um, man, this is what's great about this is that you would think, oh, just get some young, sprite college students to do that. Sure, we have lots of college students that are doing that. We, I think our, our um, young, we have freshmen in college that were leaders this weekend. But we also have parents that have high schoolers that spent the night at someone else's house, probably on a sleeping bag, on the floor, doing that. We also have someone who's in their 70s who did that. So... Just saying, all generation, thank you, leaders. You are awesome. You are awesome. Yes. And um, just a couple more people I did. I want to at least introduce to you um, David Brady. If you would just stand up. This is our speaker for the weekend. Did a phenomenal job. 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, Brady is on staff at North Point outside of Atlanta where Andy Stanley is the, the pastor. And I will just say this. I said this last night, incredible heart for students. And sometimes, I'm just being honest, that speakers come in, they do their thing, and they, they leave. Or they're like, hey, this is my message. I got three messages already prepared kind of back in my Bible. And he's like, man, what are you, what are you feeling that the Lord is sensing in, in your students? Hey, he came up here from Atlanta. We, we talked, we met. He spent some out, lots of hours. He wrote small group questions. Yesterday, there was an illustration with a ladder. I go to get the ladder and he's like, get out of the way, I'm carrying this. And so just a servant's heart to pour in to this generation. So thank you, Brady. And then um, a good friend of mine, Adam, who's sitting next to him, a, a previous student of mine. You can stand up, Adam. Um, uh, Adam, um, at my very first church, um, when I was young and stupid, uh, now I'm just stupid, and um, is that I met him, he was a sophomore, and poured into him, and he poured into me, whether he thought that or not, as a high school student, and just has a huge heart for ministry, so he came up, helped MC and run games and all that, um, but two other people I don't want to forget, and then we'll, um, I want to show you something really funny that I hope you enjoy is two people that I really want to say thank you to is Randy Gay. Um, Bill and Randy Gay. Yeah. R Randy, Randy was up here um, and uh, up here some last week, well, in the, in the weeks leading up to some days last week, but pretty much every single day here um, this week. And she doesn't get paid. She's a total volunteer. Stayed all weekend. Um, just did amazing work. So thank you, uh, Randy. Thank you, Bill, uh, for, for your help. And then, obviously, I'm a very, very lucky man because my wife partners with me in ministry. And a lot of wives don't do that. Um, and so she is an extension of me. And if you talk bad about her, um, we'll fight later. Um, but it is a huge blessing because sometimes, just being honest, you ask any pastor at this church or any pastor in ministry, ministry can be lonely at times because a lot of people bring their issues to you and you feel like you're on this island all by yourself. And I cannot thank you um, or to tell you enough how thankful I am for that woman. And um, she has, we got up one morning, we, we were um, doing registration, which is like the biggest jigsaw puzzle known to man. And you try to make close to 200 students happy, and um, you can't, some people can't even make their one 13-year-old happy, and I get that, um, but we woke up, we both were like restless, and it's like four o'clock in the morning, and she's like, hey, you want to go work on that Excel spreadsheet? I'm like, no, I don't, but it needs to get done, and so I was like, I'll make the coffee, you sit in front of the computer, let's take a selfie, put it on Instagram, and I'm like, what are we doing? This is, I'm not I'm not young and sprite anymore, but Sloan, thank you. Um, I love you very much, and she's a huge part. So, uh, of course, throughout the weekend, we do all kind of fun stuff and have an incredible, incredible time filled with sessions and worship and all, all kind of different things. 
Um, and so, we, as you can see in the video, we do a bunch of different stuff. And uh, we did sumo suits last year. We were like, that was fun. So let's do it again this year. And uh, we had some fun games. We did, I don't know if you've ever seen, so our theme is breakout. And so for part of the activity, we created breakout or escape rooms. And so students were locked, not officially locked, but they were, huh, that would have been nice. Um, is, some of you are like, no. Parents are like, yes, yes, amen. But we put them in a room and we showed a video. You said, we said, you have 30 minutes to use the clues in this room to get a piece of paper that says you can escape. And so there's locked boxes everywhere. It's kind of this mad scientist lab that um, the NEPS really helped us with some things um, science related. So thank you, NEPS. And then, and so they had to get out. So that was fun and all this sort of stuff. But they also, part of their activity is they had to film a video doing a trick shot. Okay, and but listen, I know y'all y'all need to get better or better. Okay, they I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> y'all are awesome. So they everybody submitted all these. I mean, there were so many like 24 different videos, and it was just awesome. But to set that up, I had to get Pastor Paul to do a trick shot video with me, and so I wanted to show you. I wanted to show you. And I'll explain it in a second. But I want to show you the video that we showed Saturday to kind of set up what students were going to be doing. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll say something afterwards. All right, let's, let's roll that, that footage. How's it going, weekend? Uh, my name is Trickshot Timmy. And for your activity today, you're gonna to be filming a bunch of different trick shots. You can bottle flip, you can do frisbee disc, whatever it takes. And you're gonna put it on Instagram or Facebook using the hashtag DSMWeekend17. And so as Trick Shot Timmy, I wanna show you some of my awesome trick shots as great examples that you could do. All right, so for my next trick. Hey, trick too. Oh, hey, up? Pastor Paul, what's going on? You look good. Oh, you look thanks, good. man. Oh, I've been working out. But I'm also yeah. showing uh, everybody who's attending the weekend my mad skill, mad trick shot skill. Can I try one? Sure. All right. Is it something like this? Let me tell you a little something about that. <laughs> First of all, uh, those clothes were extremely too tight on me. Um, but let me tell you, this is how I love our pastor, is that, so we're down in the rec center, and we're filming with Alex Reynolds, who does a great job through the weekend as well, and he's doing some footage, and he's like, okay, so I'm kind of talking to Paul about it, and he's like, I'm gonna go down and practice. So he's down there, and we, me and Alex come down, and <laughs> So Alex says, hey, let's, let's just get a take of Paul doing, making the shot. Just let's do it. 
And I didn't want it to be like, you know, have you seen those movies where someone does something like that and it's, they show the shot, the ball goes off the camera and then it zooms in to the goal and it's like goes in. You're like, that was fake. Okay, I didn't want that. I wanted, I wanted the real deal. So Alex was like, okay, well, let's just get him shooting and then we'll do all the other stuff. Paul, swag. I'm telling you, baller. He comes in, he's like, no, we're going to do this in one take. I'm feeling it. And I'm like, okay. So Alex Reynolds says, if you make this in one take, I'm taking you to lunch. Right? So Paul's like, okay. So he's like, rolling. He's like, so Paul comes up. He's like, okay, I'll do this. Don't in it. First time. First time. <laughs> and so literally, Pastor Paul like dropped the mic. He's like, I gotta, I gotta, you know, prepare a sermon, man. Get out of here. Listen, and after the week that we've had, uh, man, I'm just thankful that he was down there. And so we had a great, great, great time. And as I said, our, our theme was breakout. And we kind of went through a couple different scenarios and sessions talking about this. But this morning, I want to kind of hopefully encapsulate everything that we've talked about and put a nice little bow on it. And, and ho hopefully you could be a part of this weekend with us as well. And so I want to look in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And I love it because... So it's in this halfway point and acts as a great bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so you have this guy named Matthew. He's one of Jesus' friends, and, and he's following Jesus. And, and in Matthew, you see that you see this story and this life of this Jesus guy, of what it's, what it's all about. And we're going to look at a story of a guy named Peter this morning. And Peter was a fisherman. So he's, he's fishing. He's a real probably kind of a scruffy guy, hard worker, probably has got like bare hands, I don't know. But he is out there fishing. He probably wakes up early. He probably stinks like fish, whatever. And he's getting after it. And so we're going to look at this story. And Peter is first introduced to Jesus through his brother, Andrew. Because Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was this guy that before Jesus was born and came to this earth, John the Baptist was proclaiming to the people, a Messiah is coming. And so this guy named Andrew starts following him. He introduces his brother Peter to Jesus when Jesus starts his ministry. And then they're fishing, Andrew and Peter are doing their career. They're at their job. Jesus shows up and says, hey, drop your nets and follow me. So Peter and Andrew, they drop their nets and they just follow Jesus. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. But they, they follow him uh, one day. And so then, uh, shortly after, G, uh, Peter experiences something that's pretty awesome. That Jesus shows up at Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. And, and so he does this miraculous act. And so Peter is this um, bystander that is witnessing what Jesus is doing. So he's following Jesus. He's starting to see some things going on. We see this in the, in the gospel. He's, he's, as he's following him, he experiences his mother-in-law being healed by Jesus. And then shortly after that, Peter and Andrew are back out on the boat, fishing some more. Jesus shows up, says, hey, why don't you take that net and throw it in the deep water? And Peter's like, Jesus, listen. We're the fishermen, you're a carpenter. <laughs> no, that's not in scripture, I made that up. But, um, but they say, hey, listen, we've been doing that, Jesus. We've thrown it, we've had no success. We've had no success. Jesus says, 
put it in the deep end. So Peter says, okay, you're Jesus. Throws it in the deep end, pulls up a ton of fish. He experiences this incredible miracle. So roughly about a year and a half, two years later, Peter's been following Jesus, has known him for a couple years at this point, and all of a sudden he experiences Jesus raising a little girl from the dead. Then right after that, he experiences the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus takes a, a few loaves of bread, a couple fish, and feeds 5,000 people. So at this point, here is Peter, who has been walking with Jesus, really kind of in the background, because if you look through the Gospels, you don't, up to this point, you do not see Peter doing anything crazy for Jesus. He's just kind of playing, learning, following, witnessing, you know, all that kind of stuff, doing what Jesus does just from, from afar and watching him do this. And so we get, I say all that because we get to chapter 14 of Matthew and we see something change inside of Peter. And you've heard this verse before if you've been in church for any, any length. I don't want you to tune me out because I think God has something to speak to you through this. And so let's look at chapter 14, verse 22. So here's Peter, this fisherman. They just fed the 5,000. And it says this in um, chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus just got done doing this awesome miracle of feeding 5,000. He t tells the disciples, hey, I'll catch you on the other side. Man, I'm going to go pray. He goes up to the mountain. He's praying at night. And so the, dis the disciples get in the boat. They start to head um, to the other side. And it says, but the boat by this time was a long way away from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he, being Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But, just like you and me, says, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Wouldn't you do that? I, I would do that. Um, and so, here, here's Andrew, here's Peter, and they're all out in this boat that Fishing, they're, normal, they're used to this. This is normal for them. And they see it's waves, a storm, and all of a sudden a ghost comes. They're like, we're in serious trouble. They, they yell out in fear, say, that's a ghost. But immediately, there's that word immediately. You can underline that, circle it, whatever in your Bible. Take that down. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Here's where Peter comes in. Peter, who's been on the sidelines just following, watching from afar. Peter, this rough fisherman who was called to follow Jesus, answered him saying, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. It's pretty amazing. Here is Peter, Mr. Comfort, in the background, all of a sudden, in the middle of what's really terrifying, Jesus shows up and he says, he says, come to me. And Peter steps out of that boat. Now me, I'm probably going to sink. <laughs> probably going to drown. I'll probably, knowing my luck, probably hit my head on the side of the boat and pass out and drown. <laughs> but Peter's like, no, that's Jesus. 
He's saying, come to me, I'm going. So he steps out of this comfort zone and gets on the water and begins to walk on water. That is a huge move. That, is, that takes some risk, that takes some courage, that takes some boldness. He gets out of his comfort zone starts to walk on the water to Jesus. You know how the story goes. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to, uh, began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately, what, there's that word again, immediately. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And here's the awesome thing. Kind of just leave it there. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those that were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And if you look at the gospel, this is the very first time that the disciples declare exactly who Jesus is, the Son of God. So Peter, being afraid, being in the background, steps out of this boat in the middle of a storm in darkness, possibly to a ghost. He steps out and begins to take that step of faith, to trust in him, and starts to walk on water. And as he's doing that, Sure, he's, he starts to sink. He took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus immediately grabs him. They get back in the boat. The wind ceases. And then everybody that was in the boat that just witnessed Peter take a step of faith and Jesus pull him out begins to worship him. And here's the thing. One thing that you take away from this morning is that when you step out, Jesus steps up. When you step out of your comfort zone, Jesus will step up. Anytime that you step out of this, this bubble, your comfort zone that you have built around you, say, I don't want to take risk. When you take a risk, now you know, high risk, high reward, right? When you step out, man, in the name of Jesus, he's going to be right there. You step out, he's going to step up right then and there. And because of Peter stepping out, and Jesus stepping up and grabbing him, guess what happens? Everybody in that boat started worshiping God and declared, ho, 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 truly you are the son of God. What just happened, what I just experienced, there's no way. That's crazy. Something's going on here. You, you are who you say you are. But here, here's the thing that I think that you and I do, and this is the tendency that we have to fight. And I will be the first one to tell you I am completely guilty of this. Is that when we become a Christian, if you're in this room and there's been a time in your life where you've said, I am a follower of Jesus, I surrender my life to him, give your heart to him, whatever. Whatever that looked like. Maybe it was at a VBS when you were six, maybe it was later in life, whatever. When we do that, all of a sudden, this is what I think, over time we develop into comfortable Christians. So I have an illustration I want to show you. I'm going to come down here for a little bit. Is that okay? I know this is odd, but um, I should stay up there because I'm short, but I'm going to come down here. Um, is this, is that in our life, I would call this bubble wrap Christianity. So I'm going to bring my friend Adam up here. So Adam, give it up for Adam. Yeah. So what do you use bubble wrap for? Packaging, because you want to keep things safe, right? So if you've ever moved, God bless you, all right? Um, you know what I'm talking about. But the kitchen is the worst part. 
and you have to wrap all these dishes and all your fine china. Um, or if you're like me, you can just use like past Dickie's barbecue cups as Tupperware and fine china. <laughs> um, and so, but anyway, you wrap things to protect it. And this is what I think we do, church, is I think we become a Christian, especially here in America. And we think Christianity is something, we're just going to play it safe. I got my fire insurance. I raised my hand. I'm not going to hell. I'm good to go. And so what happens is we begin to slowly, not, I'm not saying intentionally, we, we start to wrap ourselves in bubble wrap. And we start to make the Christian life something that we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect ourselves with. And so we, we kind of form this comfort cocoon. We want to keep it safe. We like the church that we go to. We like the preferences that we have, the music, the style, the pastor, whatever. And before you know it, we get wrapped up. And we get into this comfort cocoon, and hopefully I won't pass out because I'm dizzy. Um, that's good. All right. There you go. And before we know it, over time, we continually are wrapping ourselves with bubble wrap in a comfort zone. So what happens is we don't take risk, do we? We get in our routine, and we start to say things like, that's my seat. That's my church. That's my service. This is how it's going to be. This is how it's always been. We're not, we don't do that here. It used to be like this, and what's changed? And then in our lives, we start to just wrap ourselves, and before you know it, if we keep going, just for illustration's sake, your whole body would be wrapped. And then when someone comes and challenges you or, or does something to poke this bubble wrap, you get offended. Your bubble gets busted. You get offended. How dare you? Say that. Don't say that. You can't say that in church. You can't do that. You start to do that. And then before you know it, if this was fully wrapped, just think with me. If this was fully wrapped, if I was to wrap Adam's head, the bubble wrap would be around his eyes. And this is what happens when we become comfortable Christians in our routine. We wrap our eyes. We lose sight of the mission of Jesus. Because it's not about people out there. It's just about the scenario right here, the here and now. It's not, we're not worried about that. We're just thinking, all I can see is what is in front of me, and that's all I care about. So our vision is skewed. And so we lose sight of lost people. And so what ends up happening, and I will tell you, and I'll step on your toes, and that's okay, send me hate mail later, is that we lose sight of lost people coming to know Jesus and people needing Jesus because you're not hanging out with people who need Jesus. You're hanging out with people who already have Jesus. And so the thing is, is that we have to expose ourselves to people. And the thing is, is that we have people around us at our jobs. We have people in our families that need Jesus. We have people at this church that need Jesus. And so our vision, we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to waste to say, oh, let me just think about right here. We got to think about people. And I love what one of the things Brady said is that we have to love people well. That's what we have to do. But oftentimes as Christians, we're known for hating people for their beliefs, for their actions, for whatever. We expect lost people to act like Jesus lovers. It doesn't match. So then 
it, not only is your vision skewed, but let's say he's wrapped up. He's pretty entangled. If I was to wrap him up, he wouldn't be able to do a lot of physical activity. And here's, here's kind of what happens. We become so wrapped up in no physical activity. Let's just say um, we had some of those awesome burgers last night. Those, those were really good. Thanks, Randall. Um, and I continue to feed Adam here. Let's just say for the rest of his life, I'm just feeding Adam. He's staying right here wrapped up, and I feed him. What's going to happen? He's going to probably gain some weight, right? He's probably, he's, he's probably going to gain some weight because he, there's no activity going on. And then this is what I think, is that I think that in church, this is us sometimes. This has been me. We're wrapped up. We're being fed, whether it's from Sunday morning preaching, a great Bible study, a small group that we're in. And we're consuming, consuming, being fed, being fed, being fed. But guess what? We're not active. We're standing still, wrapped up. So what I call being spiritually obese. We have lots of knowledge, which is awesome. That's awesome. But if God's word is living and active, it needs to be living and acting active through us, not just in us. It can't just, it doesn't, I know people that are like, oh, I've read the Bible four times. Okay, well, look at your life, you know, not to be in a judgmental way, but what's going on? We have to be doers of the word. And so you can't just be doing that. And here's the sad part is that eventually, if, as we're wrapping through this progression of Christianity, as we're wrapping our body in bubble wrap, eventually, if I covered up his face, his nose, and his mouth, he would suffocate and die. And we have a lot of people that gave their life to Jesus at some point in their life, but they are dying right now. Not physically. Spiritually, they are spiritually dead. One time they knew Jesus and were alive and active and doing awesome things. But right now, they're just spiritually dead. And they fill our churches all over the place. And what happens is that when you have a body of believers who are supposed to be living and active with a vision, being fed God's word to be doers of the word, and see that vision, what is supposed to happen is you're supposed to breathe and have life. But instead, our buildings are, are filled with suffocating Christians who are dying. And at the end of the day, the church will die. And when the church dies, especially here in Greenville, we will have a lot of buildings that are nice museums. They're not places of worship anymore. They're nice facilities that had a great past, but they're not filled up with active, breathing, living Christians because they're stuck. But here's the great thing is that Jesus came and he said, hey, listen, don't worry about all these things, all these rules, and Brady talked about this, all these rules that society, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do this. This is, a, this is what a quiet time looks like. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to read my utmost for his highest. That's like the only devotional ever, <laughs> you know, um, to do all these things. Jesus says, no. Listen, first and foremost, as I told Peter, come to me, look at me, keep your eyes on me, and I free you. Now you can move. Now you can be active because God sent Jesus so you and I could be free, not entangled in sin. Give it up for Adam. So, so this is our life. In, in, in Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And that's what we do. We come from slavery 
for us. God says that, or the Bible says, and we believe that we all have a sinful nature. Jesus frees us from that sin, but how many of us are guilty of saying, you know what, it might not be that kind of sin that entangles us anymore, but it's going to be this sin or this sin, or it's going to be something else that wraps us up, up, and instead we're suffocating, we're dying, and instead we need to be living and active, breaking out, doing amazing things. So here is Peter, and he sees this amazing thing take place. And this is what I love about Peter's story. Two chapters after this, two chapters, and um, you will see, Jesus takes the disciples to this place called Caesarea Philippi. If you've ever been to Israel, um, I've never been. I've seen pictures. Um, would love to go someday. It's, I hear it's awesome. But in Israel, there's this place called Caesarea Philippi. Jesus takes his disciples. And at the time, Caesarea Philippi was known as Little Rome because it's like a big rock. And on top, people worshiped Caesar. But then... Underneath was kind of like this like cave-esque type thing, and people worshiped different pagan gods. And so he takes them there, and he says, hey, disciples, who do you say that I am? People are like, well, some people say you're like a good person. Some people say you're a prophet. You're a teacher. You're a good rabbi. Jesus looks at Peter. After knowing and experiencing Jesus on a personal level, stepping out in faith so Jesus can step up, he looks to Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? I love it. Peter says, you're Jesus Christ. You are the son of the living God. He knew exactly who his Savior was. He knew exactly what the Messiah was all about. And then this is what I love about Peter's story. So from there, as he steps out and Jesus steps up, Peter begins to embark on this incredible journey, but it's fil- it has a huge, what I would say, failure in the middle of it. And you know this if you've been in church, that when Jesus is about to be crucified, Peter sells Jesus out. And so he sells him out, turns him into authorities. They arrest Jesus. They crucify him. Peter feels horrible about it. And this is what I love about the grace of Jesus. He comes, once Jesus is crucified, three days later, raises from the dead. He didn't just say, all right, Peter, you know, live with that for the rest of your life. Comes back to Peter. After visiting some other people, he comes back to Peter and he says, Peter, listen, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah. He's like, no, no, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? And he pretty much says, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep restores Peter's soul. And then, because of this awesome step of faith that Peter steps out and does amazing things and takes a risk in his following of Jesus, then you see in the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, that Peter preaches an amazing sermon. This fisherman, (laughs) this rough guy over here who's been radically changed, you probably thought he was a nobody, going to be doing fisherman work for the rest of his life, preaches a sermon and 3,000 people's lives are radically changed. All because, I don't know, a few years before, he took this huge step and said, I don't know everything. I don't know what's going on. I'm tired of being on the sidelines. I want to get in the game and be a part of this. And so Let's do this. And he steps out. 
And God uses Peter in tremendous ways all throughout the early church. Eventually, Peter gives his life as a martyr and dies for the name of Jesus. So my question to you is, if it's true that when you step out, Jesus steps up, and for many of us, we want Jesus to step up, but we're not willing to step out. And so what is it going to take for us as a church, as a body of believers, to break out of that comfortable bubble wrap Christianity and say, man, I'm taking this step, I'm stepping out and letting God step up. So you might be here this morning. And maybe you, you've grown up in this church and you've grown up in a church your whole entire life. And there's never been a time that you've done that. Or maybe it's you that a long time ago you did, but you look at your life, man, you are empty and hopeless. There's nothing that resembles living for God. You haven't, you haven't read scripture in probably months. There's no fruit from your life. I, I, I don't know what, what it is, but you are so entangled and you just feel like you are suffocating and dying. I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe you want to come up here and pray. I know that could seem weird and awkward, but maybe you want to come up here and pray. Maybe you want to talk. Me and, and Paul will be up here. We could talk to you. We'll pray for you. But ultimately, the only way that you can get free of whatever is holding you back, the only way that you can break out from whatever is entangling you, maybe it's your past, your sin, your current situation, maybe it's just routine Christianity, cultural Christianity, the only way for that to break out is through Jesus. He's the only way for, for that to happen. It's, it doesn't say for freedom is in church attendance that has set us free. It doesn't say for freedom, if you read your Bible a lot, that it set us free. It doesn't say for freedom is that your dad was a pastor and your granddad was a pastor and everybody started a church and that has set you free. It says for, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Jesus and Jesus alone. The gospel isn't a Jesus plus this. The gospel is the good news and that's Jesus came. Jesus came. And so maybe you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus, and you need to talk to somebody. Because you're tired of being empty and, and living entangled in whatever's going on in your life. Please know that neither, none of us are going to judge you for that. We want to talk to you. We want to help you through that. We want you to break out. We believe one of our values is about life transformation. That's what Jesus does, and that's what he did with Peter. And so you might want to come up and do that. And so I'm going to pray, and if that's you, we'll be down here in the front. And you can come talk to us. Maybe you can catch us afterwards. If that's just not your thing, that's okay. Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you want to take a step in baptism. Students, same thing. Maybe there's something that God's been stirring in you this, this weekend, and you haven't shared with your, your, your leader, and you want to talk to somebody. Come, come talk to us. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you make things new. You break chains. You break entanglement of sin. You get us um, true life and breath. And, Father, we need that because so often we entangle ourselves with things that are not of you and things that aren't pleasing to you, things that have nothing to do with you. And we try to turn to other things to get us out of the mess. Maybe it's some more money or a new job or a, a new relationship or um, praying a little bit here or whatever. We try to fill in this blank with everything except you. And so, God, I pray that during this song that we can just Surrender. Say, I'm tired of running this race. I don't do it. I'm tired. We sang that song as well. It's not well. It's messed up. My life is empty. 
sing these songs. I just sing them because their words are on the screen. They don't really mean anything to me. I need to ask for some forgiveness. I need to talk to somebody. I need God to change my life. Help me. Help me take a step towards baptism or joining the church or whatever that, get in a small group or a life group. And God, more importantly, let me step out of my comfort zone so you can work in me and through me. And by that step, lives around me are radically changed. In your son's name.